this week on the Back Table Podcast. You know, if you can find a way that happy medium where you're doing something that's really helping someone and it's also a cost-effective tool, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the best of both worlds, right? It's funny. I was talking to one of my partners. He's a little older and he's been doing green lights. He doesn't do anything else. And it, it's something frustrating kind of trying to tell him, hey, you know, just venture and try it, you know, one of these other things and someone else, you know, just don't use a, a cookie cutter approach because, you know, they, there's more than one way of skinning a cat. So, so the only takeaway in that regard, I would say is, you know, just feel, feel comfortable being quote unquote, a little adventurous about trying new techniques and, you know, they, they might surprise you the, the, the way they did to me. So. Hello everyone. And welcome back to Backtable Urology podcast, your source for all things urology. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and at backtable.com. This is Jose Ocho Silva as your host this week. I am ha happy to introduce our guest to uh, Dr. Francisco Helpi, or Jelpi, better known as Paco. Paco and I go way back. Uh, we both went to the same high school. I actually graduated two years before him. He spent also a year in college over in Boston, and he went back to Puerto Rico. He did med school in Puerto Rico, same time that I did, and then residency. So it's a funny story. Actually, Paco got accepted to urology residency in Puerto Rico, and I was in general surgery. So when Paco decided to go to Thomas Jefferson, the, uh, 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 he got transferred to, to Thomas Jefferson, basically. Paco, can you chip in on this and, 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 and give your, your version of the story? You forgot two things before that. First of all, you forgot that I used to play tennis with your sisters, your twin true, sisters. True, true. I remember. And uh, this one you probably never knew, but I was actually a patient of your mom. So, uh, so there's oh, more connections true. that, that oh, yeah, actually. So, so, yeah, so the funny story, not, I mean, funny, not funny, but it's that um, when I was a resident back in, in, in Puerto Rico, um, I had been looking for the potential to transfer to a different place, you know, have something a bit of a different experience. And the opportunity came along in, 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 in Philadelphia at Jefferson. When that happened, my, uh, my position was actually then, uh, given to Oche. We, we kind of like worked it in a way that it, it actually ended up working perfectly. But the backstory is that you had suggested to look at Jefferson and I called them after a night that I was on call and the lady that responded, it's like, why are you calling us? We just happened to have a, an opening that came available yesterday. And I told her that you had mentioned it about it and whatnot. So I go through the process, get there. And then I go to you and I tell you, Hey, dude, I got transferred to Jefferson. And you're like, yeah, that's good. But I thought it was, it was Penn state that, that I had told you. So <laughs> by total accident, I ended up calling a different program in Pennsylvania and happened to transfer there. And that's where I did my residency. Exactly. So you spend there, uh, was this five years or six years? It was a, so in total, it was a six year program, just like the one that we had in Puerto Rico over the years of general surgery. But, uh, I, I transferred as a PUY3. Okay. So then afterwards you did your, uh, oncology fellowship over at Mass General uh, at Harvard. Yes. So, so I did, uh, I did, uh, a Euro oncology fellowship. It was, uh, it is a combined program with Mass General and the Brigham. It's affiliated with Dana-Farber. 
um, two years of, uh, cancer, um, research. I also happened to, to get out of that, uh, a master's in public health from Harvard as well. That was actually your, your, your first couple of months you started doing that, right? Yeah. So when you go there, the first summer is supposed to be this, this program in clinical effectiveness, and it accounted for about a third of the masters of public health. So I just figured if I'm here and I can get this done, why not go for the whole thing? So I negotiated with my mentors that if I could turn every class into a publication, which I ended up doing, then they, they gave me permission to, to, to sit for the, for the MPH. And, uh, it was crazy, but I got it done in a year. And what are you doing with your MPH now? Same as, as mine? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> I, I didn't mind prior to going to med school, but yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, but remember, remember at that time I was gung-ho. I want to stay in academics. I want to be part of, you know, the, the, the next generation of, of, uh, of teachers and mentors. And then during that time, um, my daughter, the eldest, who's uh, 11 now, she was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was just starting my fellowship. So that was sort of the, uh, the, the, the Eureka moment for me where I said, you know what, I, as much as I love this, I need to, I cannot dedicate my life to my job, which was the case at that point. And I just said that, okay, family first. And I just figured that, and I mean, no disrespect to the people that are in academics. I'm not, I'm not by any means saying that they cannot do both. It's just that at that time I needed to be available 24 seven for my family should something happen. And, and that's what throw you to, to a more pr uh, private pr practice set. And uh, you ended up, you're now in Houston as a private, you're all using a group there. So I'm in Houston with a private practice, uh, group here. We're the largest pra uh, private practice group in the city. Um, and it was basically that, that ability to have, um, full liberty as far as how I could use my time. There was no restrictions as far as, Hey, you know, it's a, it's an eat what you kill model. So it was all entirely, you know, uh, on me and, and, and I didn't have to satisfy any requirements. And that's why I gravitated to that. I mean, um, is it the perfect job? You know, it, it's not, I don't think there's a perfect job out there, but, um, but we're happy enough here. We've, we've grown very fond of the city and, uh, and yeah, we're, we're here for the long haul. Good. So, yeah, I mean, we, we talk often and, and you definitely tell me your experience as a private urologist. I'm, I'm employed, I'm in private, but employed and, and it has different perks. I have good, good things, bad things, but you know, like you mentioned, there's no perfect job. Uh, you, you, you make the most out of it, I guess. Uh, so Paco, so, so when you first started, I mean, you, you ended up this, uh, oncology residency or your oncology fellowship. When you joined the group, were you going to be the, the oncology guy that that's, that was the idea or uh, how was the process? So. It was, it was pretty cool in the sense that there was no pressure to do so. I am in the West part of town. Um, we basically have nine offices spread throughout the city. I am not in the med center. I specifically wanted to avoid the med center and the, the pod that I joined, they were pretty chill about, you know, you can do whatever you want. We'll support you. Um, and, and I guess at the beginning, my idea was, you know, I can, I can try and absorb as much of those oncology cases that no one else wanted to do or things that were a little more complex and, and, and challenging. And, you know, instead of sending them out to the med center or a place like, you know, we, we have the benefit of having MD Anderson and Baylor and all those, you know, fine institutions here. Um, so I, I kind of was, you know, offering to my partners, Hey, if you want, I mean, I'd be more than happy to give a, give it a crack. And, uh. 
And, you know, it's so been that I've tried and keep my, my oncology, um, percentage of the practice at about 30% or so. Um, I do robotic cases every week. Uh, I just did a partial today. I have two lined up for next week. So it's not, it's not like it's the only thing I do, but I still do a fair number of it. And, you know, just two weeks ago I was doing an IVT thrombectomy. We do, you know, the, the, the RPLNDs every now and then I do cystectomies with my partner. But, um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, it's been a process of learning that, uh, as much as I love it, 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 the reality is it's not the most cost-effective part of urology. And hence I've decided to supplement it with doing other things that I am very fond of and that I've, I've sort of, you know, develop, uh, uh, a very, um, deep interest for. And now you are a, a center of excellence for Boston scientific in the, uh, BPH department, right? Yeah. So, so that was a, a very interesting trajectory because, um, so when I got here, I had never done a single green light and, uh, I happened to train a place where we did a ridiculous amount of, uh, holeps, homeolacer nucleations of the prostate. And, and what I ended up doing was, okay, how can I adapt the techniques that I learned from, from something that it's not really you know, it's not readily available right now because there's been so many issues with utilizing a morselator that, uh, I ended up, it sounds like almost creating a new way of doing green lights and, uh, and that took off and it drew the interest of the reps. And then from that, we jumped to resume and then Eurolift. And now I do a good number of these uh, cases. <laughs> we became the, uh, one of the first Center of Excellence, combined Center of Excellence for Resume and Greenlight. And I just became proctor for both procedures as well. So Paco, so uh, in terms of the Greenlight, are you the only one in, within the group that was doing it or, or started doing it? No, no one in the, other, in the group was doing it? So I was fortunate that when I joined the group, there is a, uh, one of those, you know, uh, green minds in BPA, in the BPH world. His name is Dr. Ricardo Gonzalez. He used to be my partner and I actually learned quite a bit from him while he was here. I do have a number of other partners that do them, but they don't feel as comfortable in, in tackling, you know, bigger glands. And, you know, I, 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 I just did today, a 170 gram gland. Um, and I did, uh, another one yesterday that was about 50 grams. So it, it, we'll walk, I guess uh, at some point we'll discuss a little, what is sort of like my, my algorithm, but it, it's, it's sort of become my my go-to, my Swiss knife, you know, sort of like procedure for, for, for BPH. No, I, I didn't know you were with Dr. Gonzalez. Yeah, I definitely have seen his videos and, and, and those glands. So, so I, I, I try to emulate that same technique. So Paco, so, so a patient goes to your office, um, he's having some voiding issues. How, how's the process of, or how do you evaluate that patient? Uh, you do a US uh, symptom score. W what's the, the process when a patient walks into your office? So I have, uh, that's something that's changed drastically in the last two years. And let me, let me elaborate on that. So prior to that two year mark, I, I guess I was doing what I think most of us did, which was you come in, you get a UA, you probably get a PVR flow, you get the symptom score. And then you'd had a conversation with the guy and get them on medication and, Hey, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And then we'll go from there. Um, about two years ago, I met a practitioner from the Northeast who basically said, Hey, um, when a patient comes to see you, you need to offer something different than the primary care physician. And hence you are the protector of the bladder. 
And your focus should be changing the, the, the nature of that conversation into how to protect the lower urinary tracts as much as possible. Um, that, that really resonated with me. And, uh, I tried to copy his, uh, his way of doing things. And now anyone that comes in with symptoms, um, basically gets, uh, yes, we get a symptom score. We have a conversation, but most of them end up getting some sort of lower urinary tract imaging. I typically do pelvic ultrasounds, uh, because most of my patients are Hispanic and they hate the, the tract ultrasounds. So what I do is I, I have it set up in a way that I, I, we own an ASC and we get the cystoscopy done and then they immediately are moved into our imaging center. They get the pelvic ultrasound. Now we have incorporated Eurocuff, which I'm not saying that everyone needs to get a Eurocuff, but it's also one of those things that we can, you know, we can throw in the middle. And then we get back together with all those things and decide, Hey, you know, are your urinary tracts at risk of, you know, compromising your upper tracts? Um, do you want to consider medications or you want to consider an intervention? And, and that's kind of how the conversation goes, but it's more than anything, you know, again, focusing on bladder health and bladder function preservation. So your cystoscopies, you're not doing them in the OR, I mean, in the office, you're doing the, in the ASE. So that's a very touchy subject with my practice right now, because, um, they, we had the ability to do them in the office. I am hopeful that we can go back to that. But in a, in a way to try and incentivize people from using our, uh, surgery center, our, I call it the, the, the mothership, all of that equipment was moved away from the offices and hence you, you kind of have to centralize everything. So I had to kind of like get creative about how to make as much as I could in the same, you know, the same, um, uh, the same patient's visit so that they would not get a little frustrated. It's a very, uh, <laughs> Again, it's, it's a very hot topic right now in my practice. I am trying to re, you know, recover a couple of those things being done in the office. I just purchased a, the Pronox machine with the intention of bringing my Eurolifts and resumes to the office. So, um, yeah, it, it, chances are by the time this thing airs, you know, it might be a different story, but right now I'm still doing them at that facility. So the idea will be to use the Pronox machine for, for the cystoscopy as well, just for the diagnostic. Yeah, I mean, but Pronox, and I don't know if, if, if you are familiarized with it. I might be familiar, familiar, yeah. No. So, so Pronox is, uh, again, at the suggestion of, of another friend from another practice, which by the way, it's part of my personality. I'm always trying to innovate and look for new things and so forth. Pronox is basically a patient administered nitrous oxide device. Uh, the beauty of it is that it's a 50, 50, um, mixture between oxygen and, and nitrous oxide. You, uh, you basically don't require any licenses, certifications, nothing. It's all, um, the responsibility of the patient. Obviously there is some monitoring involved, but the reality is it's a very simple way of having a patient very comfortable at the time of doing any of these office-based procedures, you know, vasectomies, uh, urolifts, trusses, um, prostate biopsies, any of these things are perfect for, for, for this, uh, mode of anesthesia. And, uh, yeah, we've been running with it for the last couple of weeks. And so far I, I absolutely love it. Cause definitely we, I, I found myself, uh, having more issues. I, I do them in the office, the cystoscopy, but every time I get more, more push from the patient, no, no, ah, without anesthesia, without anesthesia, even though I use the Eurojet and the numbing agents still just every, every month, they, there's people that are trying to push it. So hopefully we're trying to get the Pronox in the office. And that way, maybe I can do more cystoscopies 
instead of just like you mentioned uh doing the 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 flow max and and coming back in four weeks to see how you're doing but i will tell you that the the eureka moment for me there was just just having the um i guess the audacity of of changing a little the the way that the conversation takes place because once you explain them i show that i have a lot of pictures in my office i show them hey this is what a normal bladder looks like this is what a what a decompensated bladder looks like you don't want to be there so, you know, you kind of get patients engaged into, no, no, I want to know, I want to know. So, you know, the, as far as this, the, the pronos for the systos, I'm not saying it's an absolute must, but yeah, every now and then you're going to have that guy that, you know, I, I, I want to be comfortable. I actually encourage them to be awake because I want to show them, hey, this is what your anatomy looks like. So, and then they kind of go back and, oh yeah, that looks like that picture you showed me in the office. So, um, but it's all, a, it's all a, a matter of, of, of the conversation and, and, and just to give you numbers, um, all across the board in my practice, the BPH patient that walks in turns into a procedure in probably about 5% of cases. And that's been looked at. Uh, I've managed to get that now closer to 50% and it keeps going up. 50. 50. Wow. So it's just a matter of having the conversation. I never, ever tell them, you know, I don't want to push them into getting a surgery. I don't want to, you know, uh, have them leave the, the office thinking, hey, I absolutely need to get something done. But, you know, if you're young, healthy, you want to prevent some, those, you know, nasty, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that stuff, again, I, I, it's, it's, it's a very interesting conversation that I I've learned how to have now. And it's completely different to the one that I used to have when I finished training. So, so Paco, uh, definitely that's very important. The, the bladder health, uh, we never talk about that. And, and, and for me, when I started doing Eurolift, I think that's. That's what they started pushing. Uh, hey, you need to, the patient needs to wear, be aware of that uh, bladder health, uh, just that, that it can continue to get worse, worse, worse. So, so I mean, I, I tried to incorporate it, but yeah, I need to do a better job on that. Uh, so, Paco, in terms of, so, so you do the Eurocoff, you do, uh, you show the, the patient, hey, you're obstructed. How's the process in terms of deciding whether you do a your left, a green light, a resume? How do you do that? So again, it, it, it's, it's a very involved conversation with the guy, right? You know, I, 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 I need to, you know, be very, very, um, emphatic about the importance of setting expectations, right? So when you have these conversations, you know, what is the priority for the patient? Is it just bladder health? Is it, you know, getting rid of the nasty effect, you know, side effects of the medication? Uh, do they want to preserve, you know, the ability to ejaculate? Is it not that big of a deal to, uh, for them? So it, 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 there's, there's a number of different layers to that, uh, conversation, uh, in order to simplify it as much as possible, right? The way I kind of think about it is when I do a cysto, I'm trying to gauge, okay, does this guy have any sort of median load or is this guy only obstructed, you know, with by lower obstruction, then it gets to the component of, okay, what is the size of this prostate? And, you know, I, I will tell you, I've tackled, for instance, with resume prostates that I know that are larger than what's supposed to, to be done. But you have the conversation with the patient, you explain them, Hey, this might be pushing the envelope and, you know, they're willing to give it a shot. Yeah. We might give it a, a couple more, in, uh, you know, injections and, and we otherwise would have. So, but, but again, in order to simplify it, I normally think if it's by lower and it's shorter, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, it's smaller than 80 grams. I typically prefer a Eurolift. 
I like the Eurolift a lot because it's a very easy way of getting a patient to stop medications, leave the, the, the ASC and be happy, not need a catheter, um, and, and basically start experiencing improvement of symptoms almost immediately. If there is a central gland slash a median lobe, then it, it all depends on how protuberant that is. Uh, I've started doing some of these Eurolifts with the median lobe. But my preferred um, option for the younger guy with a smaller than, say, 80-gram prostate is probably going to be Resume. Now, Resume, it's interesting because I think it's a great tool, but you have to be very careful how you, um, how you sell that procedure to the patient because you have to be clear that, hey, things are going to get worse before they get better. And if they don't, even better. But it likely is that they will have a number of weeks that they're going to be uncomfortable. The way I handle that, everyone goes on anti-inflammatories for a week or two. Everyone goes on um, stool softeners. Everyone keeps a catheter for about a week. Um, that was one of my mistakes at the beginning. I probably left it for a little shorter than I should have. So, uh, but, you know, once you start revisiting and refining these things, you know, you explain to them and they're fine. And then anything larger than that, uh, in particular, if there's a large protuberant um, median lobe, it's likely going to be a green light. unless it's someone that, uh, that is open to the option of, say, robotic simple prostatectomy, which I normally reserve for those very, very um, intravesical median lobes that, you know, you can just get the, the procedure done so much quicker than, than being there for a while with the green light. So that's it in a nutshell, how I kind of like think and navigate these things. So you mentioned about the medications you give the patients. Uh, do you usually give the same for, for resume, Eurolift and, and green light patients? Yeah, I had to simplify it so that my, my scheduler, because she used to, you know, mess things up big time. So any procedure that I do for the prostate in that regard, it's always the, the, the three, you know, it's colase, it's uh, pyridium and, and meloxicam. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, that from, from, from Dr. Gonzalez, mm -hmm. that that's what he recommends and that's what I use. I think it makes a huge difference, particularly the, the anti-inflammatory part of it. So, um. Um, I've been doing it now for a while. Um, why meloxicam and not others? I mean, it's just because it's the one that people typically like here in Houston. Are you doing the 50 milligrams once daily or, or 7.5 twice daily? It depends on the age, but normally uh, the, the seven and a half daily, if they are you know older and I'm a little concerned about their renal function, if they're younger, that I, I give them the full 15 and they do perfectly fine. So I started doing back in Puerto Rico, I started doing 7.5 twice daily, just, just cause, I mean, no, no, no specific reason. I was actually Castillo, the one who started doing it. And I just copied. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, is this the same thing? Yeah. It's just, it's just to help them with that inflammatory phase that everyone's going to go through that. Right. So, so when you're doing your lift, um, do, do you, so you, once you're there, you put, I mean, two, four clips, uh, for implants. If, if one is misplaced and it goes into the, 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 the bladder neck, are you using a, a grasper? How, how do you go about that? Yeah, normally a grasper. And you try to, to, to twist it first and see if you can reposition it? Yeah, but I mean, and I think this is probably the number one mistake that we all make when we are learning how to do Eurolift, right? We, we are used to seeing that very white bladder neck that you normally get with, say, a TURP or a green light, right? And this thing is not designed to, to mimic that. It, it's designed basically to protect the bladder neck. So 
at the beginning, I was, I was, I was firing them maybe a little too close to the bladder neck. So every now and then I had to go back in, remove them and put a new one. You know, we've, we've, I guess we finally figured out that, Hey, you need to go a little farther than that. Whatever your mind tells you, it's okay. And by doing that, you're kind of like protecting yourself from yourself. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, which is interesting when I first started doing Eurolifts, uh, I'm not saying that I had bad results. I actually had pretty decent results, but I was only utilizing four implants because that's what was the most cost-effective in the ASC. So then I had to kind of get a little creative about that. And what we do is we have a facility that it's, it's, it's basically run as, as a, as an ASC, but it's not a formal uh, surgery center. So then we can bail as if we are in the office. And then that allowed me to use more implants and, and hence the, the cost effectiveness of the procedure improved. So, so now I feel that I get better results because if you have that guy that you're debating, do I put only four or do I go for the additional two and put six, you know, money is not that big of a deal. You just want the guy to, to pee right. And that took me a while to kind of like, you know, figure out a master, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I'd say the sweet spot's usually going to be somewhere between four and six. Very seldomly, I would put more than six. I feel that if I, if I have to do that, chances are I am selecting the, the wrong procedure. And you're doing uh, fully on, on, on a specific case, like bleeding or something, or, or you haven't had that in, in a while? At the beginning, maybe we had a little more of that bleeding. Um, you know, I think that their numbers, and it's pretty much mimics what I typically see is, you know, basically only one in 10 guys, if anything, are going to go home with a catheter. But for the most part, they, they, they all go home without a folding. Good. Yeah, me too. So yeah, I started with Foley and then I quickly, I, I changed to without the Foley and maybe I, I haven't had any retention afterwards. Uh, that first night is horrible for the patients, but then afterwards they, they, they really do better. But again, you, you set up, you set up the expectations. Exactly. Right? You tell yeah. them, yeah. yeah. Hey, probably you're, you're not going to sleep tonight. Just be aware of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't call me. No, I'm just yeah, don't. <laughs> So Paco, so for resume, uh, you mentioned the, the intravesical component of, of that, uh, medium lobe. Is there a threshold, uh, of, of how big do you, are you going to tackle that medium lobe? Is it a matter of size or, or how you see it, uh, when you do the cystoscopy, how, how do you decide that part? So, so resume is what I call the, the leap of faith procedure, right? Because you do it. And I mean, I'm sure that this happens to you and probably everyone else that's listening, right? You, you do the case and you're like, holy moly, please work, please work. Because you really don't see anything major that's happening right in front of you that tells you, hey, this is going to work. No, it actually looks worse. Yeah, <laughs> if anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so what I typically do is, again, that's why I've sort of like utilized that 80 gram um, threshold. And don't get me wrong, I've had, I think the largest that I treated was, and I'm, I'm hoping this is not, this doesn't get me in trouble, but I think the largest I treated was like 130 gram and the guy's doing perfectly fine. But normally in order for me to find sort of like a happy medium where, okay, if you have enough tissue, um, I don't want to overdo it and get over, overconfident. It's between 80 and 90 grams. Um, when I do this cysto, obviously I'm looking for how much of that component to that central or, or middle lobe is present. Um, and then I kind of start, you know, planning, okay, is this going to be just one needle stick in the, in the, in the central plan? Am I going to do like two, one on each side? The way that I sell this procedure to guys, I tell them, Hey, we are trying to deflate your prostate. And, and I kind of look at it that way, man, you know, after, I don't know if you've ever had to scope any of these guys. I uh, haven't, I haven't. I, 
I started doing recent recently, so I still they're they're I mean, they're doing very good, but I haven't had to 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 scope them again for now. Oh no, it, it's impressive. I I had a guy in particular that he kept having irritated symptoms, and you know we do we we did the Euroflow, we then did the Eurocuff, no signs of obstruction, but he continued insisting that he was obstructed, and when I you know when I put the the, the scope in, I mean it, the, the thing was completely deflated. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's why I'm saying it's a leap of faith case. Again, you have to set up expectations very clear from the get-go. I normally joke with them that, Hey, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna love me. Then you're gonna hate me. And then you're gonna love me again. So, you know, there's a, a component of handholding and, you know, giving them peace of mind, but, um, but, but it works And the right guy. I think it's a great, great tool. And that patient is still, compl still complaining of irritation or he's doing good? No, he's doing fine. I mean, I, I again, this is a very complex conversation. I get it. It's a very abstract thing for patients to understand, right? You know, you're basically telling them, hey, you've been an athlete for all your life. And all of a sudden you're going to sit that guy, you know, he wants to go back to, you know, get out there. And that's what happens to your bladder. Your bladder kind of gets a little unstable and uh, you just need to allow for, for, for the remodeling phase to take place. And, you know, if the symptoms calm down, but it, it took a while and, you know, he finally got it. Exactly. And, and yeah, some patients do develop that overactivity, even with, 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 I mean, with green light, with, with all symptoms, but it's just like you mentioned, it's just that part of the bladder are readjusting, uh, uh, uh as to, to the openness, uh, that they're going to have now. Uh, so, so Paco, in terms of treatments, uh, I know the, the, the reps always stress, Hey, don't over treat the, 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 the prostate. I mean, you, you always think, Hey, the, maybe the, the, the more treatments we do, uh, the better it is, but. Uh, definitely that those irritative symptoms, uh, at least on the data suggest that the more is not the, it's not better. Yeah. So, so I, I will tell you one thing that I learned from, from Eurolift and, and uh, I mean, uh, what I'm going to explain in a second, it's a little abstract. So, so bear with me, but the whole premise of Eurolift is creating that interior channel, right? So going back to our training, we're all of the idea that, Hey, I have to, you know, do that TURP that will resect every last bit of tissue so that, you know, it's an open and, and, and wide as possible. Right. But the reality is you don't need to do that. You know, the diameter of the urethra basically will dictate the flow. So why do we need to make this very large, you know, posterior, um, fossa, you know, get it all well resected if it's going to funnel into whatever the diameter of the urethra is. So I've sort of incorporated some of those, uh, ideas into the way that I do my green lights into the way that I do my resumes. So yes, when I do a green light, do I want it to be completely wide open? Of course, but I really concentrate or focus on making uh, an interior channel that kind of mimics what the Eurolift would have done. And going back to your point by being a little more selective and specific in that regard. The amount of irritated symptoms that I've seen in the last year or two have plummeted. And it's just because, you know, you, you, you want to do good enough that you get them to pee, that they're comfortable, they have a good flow. You don't want to overdo it with it. And now you have to deal with that, you know, nasty, uh, bleeding that could happen or that burning or stinging that they sometimes complain about when you're a little too aggressive. So yeah, little things that you kind of start changing as far as technique and I, you know, it's basically helped me drastically. And when you do the green light, are you doing the channels, uh, at five at seven and then going down to the Vermontanon and then a resected medium lobe and then lateral lobes. So I, I do something that I'm sure you very likely that you're not, you haven't seen something like it because it, it's kind of like 
using the holdup technique where you would create these sort of like channels at five and seven, and then I connect those and I enucleate that middle portion with the beak of the scope. And then when I leave that tissue hanging, I then blast it with 180. And I mean, again, prostate from today, perfect example, 170 grams. Most of it was a medium low procedure took me 15, 16 minutes because most of what I do is concentrate on that medium low and nucleate using the scope as if it was my finger. And then by the time you're done, the stuff on the sides, you know, yes, you, you, you shave it off, but you don't have to be overly aggressive. Once you've, you've done that, those incisions, which mimic the, 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 the transurethral incisions of the prostate. Uh, and then you take that, that, that valve like mechanism of the median lobe. I mean, those guys are going to pee like a chimp. And, and you go down to the channels in 150 and then 180 uh, to the middle? Actually, no, I start, I do my channels with 80 because I am very, very cognizant of the irritative symptoms they can get when you mess up the bladder neck and anything in, in the vicinity of the trigone. So I make the channels with 80. I connect them with 80 and then that's when, and that's the part probably that that's the hardest to explain in, you know, in something like this, which is not visual. Uh, but that, that's when, you know, once you, you are, uh, able to, to disarticulate that, that piece of tissue, I mean, this thing, if you're in the right place in the right, uh, um, uh, layer, this thing just peels off, uh, just like when you're doing a, an open simple, right. Um, and then I just allow that tissue to sit there and I aim, uh, away from the, from the floor of the prostate so that I'm not causing any of that burning and that tissue in the middle just, just, just disappears. You know, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Wow. But that's very impressive. 15 to 16 minutes, uh, 170 gram. I mean, again, it, 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 it's a guy that I, 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 I pick him up because I know that most of it, it's a median low and that's what I'm going to have to work on hard. Right. So. Um, if you have a guy that's 170 and it's all lateral lobes, you're going to be there till tomorrow. And you, you mentioned, yeah, uh, you mentioned for, for the, for the resume, you leave the catheter for a week, but for green light, just overnight. Yeah. I, I think what happened was it had to do with the way that my clinic was set up. So all of my partners typically do it for one day. I, I'm kind of OCD. I keep it for two. Do I have any data for that? Not really. It's just the way that it, it, it worked for me. Same as most of these guys. I don't know in your, in your office, but, um, I probably see 60% of my patients are Hispanic, uh, and they don't like the idea of removing the Foley at home. So they come to the office. So, and I think what happened was that I normally do these cases on Mondays and Wednesdays, uh, there was a opening for my, uh, MA to, to kind of handle those. And that's the way it worked out. But, but yeah, and, 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 you know, to, to kind of like, um, go back and, 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 and just give you an idea of how long I keep folies and so forth. Eurolips normally nothing, um, resumes. I, I, when I started, it was three to five days now at the very least one week. Uh, and then green lights, it's usually, uh, two days. If I do a, a robotic, uh, simple, uh, I typically keep it about a week. I normally don't do any cystograms. I've never had any leak. They, uh, there was a guy that was miserable with it. I did the cystogram at three days and the bladder was perfectly fine. So we pull it out. So, but I feel that a week is more than enough for, uh, not only the bladder to heal, but also for the, for those bleeders at the prostate fossa to, to kind of like, you know, all, all, all clawed and, and, and not cause any issues moving forward. And in terms of the green light, um, uh, you mentioned the lateral lobes. So how, how far up, I guess sometimes I ran into trouble, uh, when I start going maybe at the lateral lobe, but if they're a very tall lateral lobes, mm -hmm. uh, you go like in the middle, 
and then the upper part falls like like a roof that is like a ceiling. So that's where the the whole lip the whole lip technique it, it's very helpful for me, right? Because when we did whole lips, at least the way that that I, I learned it from from Dr. Das, who was our mentor at Jefferson, you know, we would we would originally do our five and seven incisions for the median lobe, and then you would you would make a one o'clock and eleven o'clock incision on the sides, and then when you follow that, the 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 lateral tissue just falls down, it plops down. And, and, and I use that to my advantage because as I mentioned before, now I'm not super worried about having to remove all that stuff. So I want to, uh, lower it and shave it enough so that I create a good channel, but not really trying to get into that, you know, meat of the process, you know, the, the five and seven, where, you know, you're probably going to get into some bleeding. I typically always leave for the end, you know, all that, the, the tissue in the vicinity of the, um, oh my, my God, uh, the verbal uh, I call that the, the knuckles. I typically leave that for the end and I normally lower the, uh, the energy there again, because if you get in the right spot, I mean, it's perfect, but if you, if you mess up some of that deeper tissue, it's going to start bleeding. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, what I would say, yes, in that case is instead of just eyeballing it, just, just find that, that, that edge of the lobe, which is usually at one and 11. And once you get there, it just plops down. Sometimes you're, you're like torquing a lot of the, the cystoscope, you don't know how much uh, torque you're, you're going to put in it. You're very, very high on the prostate, an area that maybe you, the, the visually you're not seeing anything. It's just water flowing. Uh, and sometimes it's really hard to say where you're at if you don't know the, the, the area. And in your case, because maybe you had that exposure to, to the whole lip. But that area usually, when you're doing terps, for example, that you never go that, that high. Exactly. No, no. And that's something that, again, I, I just happen to have the benefit of, of learning holdup and figuring out how to dissert. That's the word that we kept using, you know, using residency. It was you, you want to disarticulate it. And the reason you do so is because it puts you in that plane that you're not really going to, to bleed a whole lot. So, uh, but you know, like anything else, you know, there's a hundred ways to skin a cat. This is what makes sense to me. I've managed to turn it into a way that I can, I can do a good number of these guys and, 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 you know, feel comfortable that the guys are going to go home and, and I'm minimizing risk and so forth. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of like trying to, to learn and, 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 you know, improve the technique. Absolutely. I mean, you keep learning little tricks, you know, here and there. And Paco, you mentioned the simple prostatectomy. Uh, you, you also mentioned a big glance or, or big, uh, intravesical component. So those patients, uh, the size wouldn't matter. It's actually how the prostate looks intravesically or also big glands more than 200, 250. Will you do a, a simple prostatectomy? No, I've actually, I've actually done simples in guys that have smaller prostates than that. I mean, I think the smallest that I, that I probably taken to, to a simple was probably in the order of 120, 130, but it was, it was all intravesical protrusion. So, you know, when I, again, you sit down with the guy and I told him, you know, I can, I can be there with this laser and hopefully I can, you know, I can take care of this or I can do this other approach and make sure that I'm going to get it all from the inside. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a matter of, of, of them really deciding what resonates the most with them. But yeah, when you have those very intravesical protrusions, man, it, 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 it's awesome. Because you can really, um, you can really remove a substantial amount of tissue. The other guy that I would say that makes sense is when you have, and I just had this case a couple of months ago, 
a guy with a history of elevated PSA. He had some high grade pin. He was very nervous about his PSA. So I told him that, you know, we were going to not only address his, 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 his lower urinary tract symptoms, that I also wanted to handle some of that, uh, prostate tissue. And interestingly, his PSA kind of like normalized for his age. And, and, and it was because of the sheer amount of tissue that we managed to remove. So. And in that patient, would you do a biopsy first? Yeah. So, so he had an MRI, he was referred by one of my partners. Um, you know, after I started doing these things, you know, you start generating a little traction and then, you know, partners that don't feel comfortable that, Hey, why don't you handle this guy? That guy from today, as a matter of fact, it's a patient of one of my partners. By the time that they come and see me, they usually have an MRI, um, which I kind of use as a way of comparing to, okay, what, what do my measurements tell me? Is it compatible with what the MRI is saying? Am I seeing something that is, you know, uh, um, you know, very, uh, very much protruding into the bladder. So, but yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's one of those things that, you know, you can never go back and say, Hey, there were two cases that were identical. You know, there's always little nuances about one and the other. And, and, you know, again, I, I, what I like about the way that I do it right now is that the fact that we are, yes, we're center of excellence for resume and, and, and green light, hopefully soon for Eurolift. But I put them in a room where they see all these posters. So I tell them, Hey, I'm not married to any of these things. I just want to figure out which is the one that makes the most sense to you. And when you kind of put it that way, you know, they, 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 I feel that they kind of trust you even more because I don't want to be the guy that, Hey, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, uh, I go to bed with, you know, Boston scientific just because I am their, you know, their proctor. And it's a pretty cool process that I'm sure you also have to go through because we are not trained to think this way when we are in, in, in residency, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, it's, it's been an interesting, uh, an interesting path. Good. And definitely patients, they, they, they're better. I mean, they, they want, they're, they're asking for more simple procedures, uh, more bladder neck sparing, or, or at least, uh, more, uh, se less sexual, uh, side effects, uh, no retrograde ejaculation they, they want that. Uh, some of them, they don't want to take medications. They're, they're looking for something more, uh, more permanent in that sense, or, or just one thing and done. And like, like you mentioned, I mean, you're going to start doing, uh, procedures in the office. And I think that's cause that's, that's the way you're always heading, at least in this BPA scenario, doing more stuff in the office, uh, more cost efficient, le less copay for the patient as well. And yeah, I guess that that's, that's, that's what we're, he where we're heading. I, now that you mentioned the whole sexual side effect, so that, that was a big part of this, by the way, you know, me getting involved in things that I had never done because there, again, when you and I train, there was no Eurolip, there was no resume. Great guy that just started. Had just started, but the energy was not that good. And, exactly. uh, and again, I trained with literally zero, uh, green lights. But one thing I was going to say, I had a very uncomfortable situation with a patient, uh, a couple years ago where this guy was young, maybe 55. Um, he comes in in full blown urinary retention. So I scope him massive, medium, low. I don't recall now the size of his prostate, but it was closer to hundred, 120 grams. And we talk about the options. I did a green light guy comes back. He's pain like a champ. And then he comes for his post-op, I think three months later. And he basically accuses me of stealing his manhood. So I sit down with him and I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm not ejaculating. And I'm like, are you not experiencing the pleasure associated with it? No, I'm not seeing the white stuff. And I sat down with him and I told him, Hey, we talked about it. Yeah. You, you mentioned it, but you, you, you know, I didn't know it was going to be like that. 
And, you know, it got heated. He almost punches me and, you know, it, it turned to something, you know, very aggressive, right? I had to fire the guy from the practice and whatnot. But, but it was sort of an experience that I had to learn from because now when guys come in, I mean, they sometimes, you know, they, they, they tell me like, why are you spending so much time talking to me about these sexual side effects? And it's because it's a reality. I mean, these things can happen. And, uh, I, I, you know, I have guys that I tell them, you know, if, if ejaculation is the most important thing for you, then we're definitely not going to do the most aggressive. And again, a heavy Hispanic population where that's part of their manhood. And, uh, and I have to, you know, what started almost like something to laugh about. It, it, it's a very important part of the way that I, I, I conduct my business. And that's how I looked into these other alternatives at the, uh, the beginning. And it is, that's exactly right. I had a patient, same scenario. He had a Foley catheter. I did a green light. At that time, I wasn't doing a resumer or any Eurolift. He's being great. But yeah, uh, he comes, hey, I'm, I'm worried about this. I said, hey, I told you that that's not going to come back. He started crying. I said, well, are you trying to have kids? No, no. Okay, well. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we sometimes think about just the obstruction and really not, not, not think about that part and and now with all, all these new tools, it's something real. And, and, and for younger patients, it's, it's great. I mean, you don't even have to worry about that as well, as long as, as they fit. Exactly. 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 That is going to work. So Paco, a, any takeaway message? Anything you, you want to add to this? No, what I would say is, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, as far as BPH goes, um, this is not rocket science. Again, I kind of gravitated to it because I, I had a particular interest in, in the laser technologies that were out there. And I felt that it was a way of really helping these guys. And yeah, I mean, the span of just a couple of months, we, we, we managed to achieve center of excellence, you know, proctorship and stuff and, and. You know, it's, it's a really integral part of, of urology. And if you can find a way that happy medium where you're doing something that's really helping someone and it's also a cost-effective tool, I mean, that's, 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 that's the best of both worlds, right? It's funny. I was talking to one of my partners, he's a little older and he's fixed and doing green lights. He doesn't do anything else. And it, it's something frustrating kind of trying to tell him, Hey, you know, just venture and try it, you know, one of these other things and someone else, you know, just. Don't use a, a cookie cutter approach because, you know, they, there's more than one way of skinning a cat. So, so the only takeaway in that regard, I would say is, you know, just feel, feel comfortable being quote unquote, a little adventurous about trying new techniques and, you know, they, they might surprise you the, the, the way they did to me. So. True. That's exactly right. So Paco, thanks for being in, in back table. Definitely the best of luck. I mean, you're doing great. You're, 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 you're moving forward, uh, creating new, new. New things over there. Uh, congratulations with the Center of Excellence. You mentioned the Eurolife is coming. So, again, congratulations and, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely, dude. Okay. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Un placer, campeón. Gracias, <laughs> Take care, man. Have a good night. Yeah, you too. Ciao, ciao.